Good morning. I am Father Jim Cook, and to be precise, I am here at the invitation of Father Justin. Uh, So my immediate goal is to support Father Justin and his ministry and the ministries of all the lay leaders here at St. Luke's. My long-term goal is yet to be determined by the bishop, so pray for the bishop uh, and a signature from him. So, first of all, a a teeny, weeny bit about me. I retired from full-time ministry last August after serving 30 years in three parishes, with 24 of those years uh, serving as rector of two parishes, one of which, incidentally, was St. Luke's in Shawnee, Kansas, a suburb of Kansas City, Kansas. And so, last September, my wife Peggy, who is sitting over there, She and I decided to come to Austin because we have our first grandchild, a wonderful uh, 18-month-old Max, and and believe me, by the time we're done, you will know him very well. I assure you that. I can't wait to show you his pictures. (laughs) And since I've been told that references to sports teams is encouraged, um, I want you to know that I'm a fan of the Kansas City Chiefs. Go Chiefs! I'm a fan of the University of Kansas Jayhawks, Rock Chalk, and the, well, and the Oklahoma State University Cowboys, Go Pokes, and with fingers seriously crossed, the Dallas Cowboys. We shall see. Obviously, there's more to be said about Peggy and myself, but I'll just finish by saying that we are hopeful and thrilled to be a part of this wonderful community and also to be co-workers with y'all in this corner of God's kingdom. And and God willing, we'll have some fun in the meantime. So, anyway, we've just heard, I think, two of the most evocative stories from Scripture. They're stories about temptation. They're stories about good and bad ways to respond to temptation and their stories that can help us better understand ourselves. And I can't think of two better stories for this first Sunday in Lent, so let's take a look at them. First, our reading from Genesis 2. Now, one thing we need to know is that in the verses leading up to our reading, we were told that how God had created not just all the universe, but also Adam and Eve, and had given them this wonderful garden paradise in which to live. Well, in our reading today, we learn that it didn't take very long uh, for temptation to present itself, for it to triumph over Adam and Eve, for a, a paradise only recently gained to be lost, and for Adam and Eve to be left with nothing but, well, fig leaves and regrets. And then, in our reading from Matthew 4, we learn that after his baptism, Jesus was led by the Spirit into a wilderness that is as far from a garden paradise as one can get. And then Jesus spends the next 40 days prayer in prayer and fasting. Now for me, the contrast between Adam and Eve's experience and Jesus' experience is fascinating. I mean, Adam and Eve face their temptations amid ease and plenty, while Jesus 
faced his when he was exhausted, when he's starving, and when he's alone. Adam and Eve clearly are undone by their experience, but Jesus somehow manages to, to end up on top. Why the difference? And how does understanding this difference uh, inform our journey through Lent? Well, obviously, one takeaway is that while we are moving along on our own personal spiritual journey, it's better to aspire to be like Jesus than like Adam and Eve. And that's not a bad lesson to learn because, you know, one of the purposes of Lent is to get us to take stock of ourselves, to get us to really look at where we are on our spiritual journey, and then, and then to ask ourselves, since the last time I checked, have I become more like Jesus or less? And that, generally speaking, is a good thing to do every now and then, to ask that question. Because, as you all know, I'm sure, life can be challenging. And we need to be, if you will, spiritually fit in order to respond appropriately to those challenges. But, you know, there is more to these stories than what I've just talked about. Because, you know, you have to remember, we also need to remember that what makes the story of Adam and Eve a true story is, is, is not that it accurately describes something that happened a long time ago. The facts of the story are almost beside the point. What makes the story of Adam and Eve a true story is the fact that it describes what life is like for us here and now. It's a story that tells the truth about us. Because just like Adam and Eve, we are frequently confronted with things which, on the one hand, look really attractive to us, but which, on the other hand, may not be what God has in mind. And so in those moments when we have to make a choice, uh, it's better by far to be, if you will, spiritually strong like Jesus than to be spiritually weak like Adam and Eve. So, there really is some truth uh, to the notion that was mentioned this last Wednesday, on Ash Wednesday. There's some truth to the notion that's, good, that's a good thing for us to take the time and to put forth the effort to take advantage of those Lenten disciplines of fasting and prayer of study and renewal in order to pump up our spiritual muscles. Now, as valuable as it may be to approach these two readings in that way, there are some risks to that approach. For one thing, all this talk about getting into shape can lead us into a sort of macho spirituality, you know, like the that young monk who would like to boast that he could fast any other monk in the monastery under the table. That's not a good idea. Another risk from that approach is we might come away from those stories with a mistaken identity of what victory is really all about. So let's look again at what's going on in the story of Jesus' temptation. So he's fasted and he's prayed for a long time. And he's famished and he's exhausted from the effort and energy it takes to sustain something like that. 
he's not at his best. And that's when the temptations hit him. Now, if the temptations had hit him on a good day, I suspect that Jesus might have responded differently. Maybe uh, clever responses, insightful parables, things that would have put the devil in his place. But he doesn't have that kind of strength, that kind of energy uh, to do that. I suspect that most of us can relate to Jesus uh, because we've all been faced with temptations when, that came to us when we were out of resources. In fact, that's generally when they hit us the hardest, isn't it? And the problem really wasn't that we were, weren't spiritually strong enough. It's just, just that for whatever reason, we allowed our, our, our spiritual tanks to get depleted. And that, for me, is a great argument for attending church regularly, for praying regularly. But back to Jesus. So there he is in the wilderness, completely out of gas, being tempted, really, really tempted. But look at what happens. Look at what happens. Jesus does not say one word of his own in response to any of the temptations. He simply quotes Scripture. Because he has no resources of his own, he simply holds on to God and lets God's words work through him. And that, for me, is a great argument for reading and studying Scripture regularly. And the outcome of this encounter between Jesus and the, and the, the, the devil, although it is a victory, it's not a victory that comes from a personal spiritual strength. Rather, it's a victory that comes about as a result of a gift from God. It's a, it's a victory that comes about because Jesus is willing to surrender to God and rely upon God's strength and rely and trust in God's resources. And even though I'm certain that the times that, that Jesus spent in the wilderness gave him a better relationship with God, I'm equally certain that it gave him something more. It gave him the insight and the courage to surrender and therefore to depend not on his own best efforts but upon an emptiness that can only be filled by God, an emptiness that can only be filled as a gift of grace. And that's a hard lesson to learn, you know, trusting God. But it's also an important lesson to learn. Jesus apparently learned it in 40 days. It may take the rest of us a lifetime. Several months after all this happened, Jesus was overheard to say to his disciples, when you are handed over to your enemies, do not worry about how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you at that time. And I would be willing to bet that when Jesus was saying those words, he was thinking about his experience in the wilderness and with those temptations. And it was advice that he could give to others because it was a lesson he had learned personally. In the end, becoming spiritually strong and developing a deep and rich spiritual life 
is never about us. It's never about what we can accomplish. Rather, it's always about God and about what God can do for us and what God can do for others through us. It's about surrendering ourselves. It's about emptying ourselves so that we can receive God's gifts. And if we can do that, if we can do those things, we'll learn that those gifts will always be there for us when we need them, and they'll be gifts that never, ever fail us. Amen. Please stand and join me in the Nicene Creed, found on page 8 of your bulletin. We believe in one God, the Father, Father, the Almighty, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, Light from light, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He sowed their death and was buried. Third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. And with the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Let us pray for the church and for the world. Grant, Almighty God, that all who confess your name may be united in your truth, live together in your love, and reveal your glory in the world. Lord, in your mercy, guide the people.